we don't know what the end holds. And they still said, are you willing to go? Yeah, the guy that comes out at the end of something like that is not the same guy that goes in. It's six days of constant physical activity with very limited, if any, sleep. And we all have weaknesses, but if you never acknowledge those and you go through life pretending that you're Superman, which none of us are, then you never learn, you never progress. You know, but if you acknowledge those, then you can build on those weaknesses. And the more you build on your weaknesses, then overall, the, the stronger you become as a whole. Have you ever noticed how nice people are in church? They got their nice clothes on, they're polite, they say, praise the Lord. They lift their hands singing sometimes, and, and they're just all sweet. And, uh, and then when they leave, they go buck wild. They got attitudes, they're sleeping around, they're cursing. And then they come back a week later and they're all nice again. And the reason that is, is because people don't realize that walking with God is not church. Church is the best behavior. That's when you're going to be the best all week. You're around a lot of people that are focused on God. But walking with God is a war. It's a fight. Day and night, 24-7, your desires are warring against God's desires for you. Our fleshly desires war against God's desires. We want to do things that are completely opposite of what God wants us to do. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are in a war. And in a war, there are casualties. People get hurt. Lives are destroyed. In a war, there's an enemy you need to know who your enemy is and how he thinks, how he operates, how he responds. In a war, you have weapons. You need to understand what your weapons are if you're gonna win the war. You have to practice using your weapons. You have to be skilled at using your weapons. And in a war, you must be trained. You must practice fighting because day in and day out, your enemy is gonna beat you down. And if you don't approach your walk with God as a war, you're going to be a casualty. So my million dollar question for you today is, are you ready to get in the battle? Are you ready to get in the war? Knowing your enemy doesn't mean just knowing what they look like, what color shirt they wear. It means knowing their movement patterns, means knowing where they live, what their routes in and out are, where you expect them you're basically talking about creating a situation. So you can create a situation one of two ways. You can create a situation where you have the advantage, which is what you want when you want to take someone out. Whereas the other way is you can, if you want to avoid that, if you want to avoid that instead of take them out, say it's an overwhelming force and you don't want to engage them, you want to just avoid them. If you, the more you know about that enemy's personality traits, movement patterns, what they're wearing, what they're doing, how they think, then the more you can predict their situation they're going to be in and avoid that situation altogether. So not every enemy needs to be shot or, or handled directly with direct action. Sometimes the best tactical decision is to avoid that enemy altogether. Uh, I know for me, um, some of the weaknesses I've dealt with as a person have involved letting myself be put into situations that I shouldn't let myself be put into in the first place. Now, having been through all those, now I see those situations starting, I, I see them developing, and I avoid them from the start. And it's a lot easier for me to avoid those particular enemies, those particular situations, than it is to let myself get into them and then try to fight my way out. So sometimes avoidance and knowing your enemy, not, not ignoring 
but consciously and actively avoiding those situations is better than, than engaging head on sometimes. We're gonna go into a situation, we're going to make that determination once the contact has begun or, and a contact doesn't necessarily mean rounds have been, have been fired. Contact means that we, we see the enemy, they don't see us. We're going to decide whether we are going to engage, whether we are not going to engage. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody, whether dating or just a friend, and even a friendship that goes a long time and you feel you know them really well, and then they betray you, somehow they stab you in the back, they do something unexpected, and you direct all your anger at them. The reason you do that is because you don't understand who your true enemy is. Or something happens in your life that's unfortunate, someone dies, you lose a job, your car gets stolen, and you get mad at God. The reason you do that, the reason you get mad at God is because you don't understand who your true enemy is. In Genesis chapter four, uh, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Both of them give a sacrifice to God. God accepts one sacrifice, rejects the other. Cain, who got his sacrifice rejected, kills his brother because he didn't understand who his true enemy was. When you're in a war, you have to understand who your enemy is. You have to understand how he thinks, how he operates, how he responds to stress, how he's going to counterattack. And as Christians, we have to understand our enemy is not people. Your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is the devil. Your enemy is a spirit. I want to read something to you in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or deceptions, tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's very important. Our fight, our war, the spiritual battle we're in is not against people. People are not the enemy. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Every day you wake up, and even when you're asleep, the spiritual battle you're in are against the spiritual forces of wickedness, the principalities of darkness against your life. Your enemy is a spirit. You'll never see him. Your enemy will work through people, but ultimately your enemy is spirit, it's the devil and his demons. Your enemy is very smart and very strategic. Your enemy knows your weaknesses and how to trip you up, how to deceive you, how to get you to do things to destroy your own life and then get you to blame God. Your enemy is a murderer. The Bible calls him a liar. He'll never, ever tell you the truth. He'll never show you the truth. He'll never give you a perspective on the people in your life and the situations in your life, he'll never give you a perspective that is true. He'll never allow you to understand what's reality. He's always gonna blind you from what's right. The Bible says the devil speaks three times in the Bible. Uh, in Genesis chapter three, Job chapter one and two, and Matthew chapter four, and each time he speaks, your true enemy, He's trying to turn man against God. He's trying to destroy the relationship between man and God. In, in Genesis, he turns uh, Adam and Eve against God. In Job, he tries to turn God against man. And in Matthew, he tries to turn the God-man, Jesus, against his father. But every time he speaks, he's trying to destroy man's relationship with God. Every single day, you are in a battle with an invisible enemy the spiritual forces of wickedness, trying to destroy your relationship with God, your trust in God, 
your reliance on God. And you have to understand that because if you don't, you're going to be like a lot of people who tell me, well, I don't notice the devil in my life. He's not opposing me. And I say, you may not realize the devil's opposing you because he's not fighting against you. He's got you so deceived, you are actually walking with him. I was a sniper for the time I was in the teams. And one of the things we do, obviously you have the sniper rifle with a large scope that can magnify everything. But if you put that, that single tool in the hands of somebody that hasn't trained with it, they can, they can make fairly good shots and they'll probably get close to hitting what they're aiming at, but it's not gonna have the consistency and it's not gonna have the accuracy that somebody who is trained with those tools will have. So when you're attacking the enemy or when, you, when you're dealing with the enemy in any way, what people don't realize, it's not that single shot, it's not that single moment in time that decides the fate. It's, it's that, that grind from, from day one to the end of training, if there is an end. It's all that culmination of your skills of reiterating everything, of rehearsing everything, going over what ifs, planning, and putting all those skills into one, funneling them into one focus set, one minute, one moment in time where you have that shot and you're able to take it. And if you can do that and you can bring all those skills together at one moment in time and you've put the situation into effect where you can have the most uh, advantageous position over your enemy, then chances are you'll be successful. But a lot of people, see they see people with success, they see people overcoming these things and it's, it's just one play, it's just one shot at this one hurdle, but they don't realize all those, those days and weeks and years of training they go up to, to leading into that. So it's, it's, not, it's not any one, one thing or one moment, it's, it's a culmination of, of a lifetime's worth of work to, to achieve anything or to overcome anything, really. Going into my third year with the San Diego Chargers, they told us that they were going to give us a test that they had never given us before. They were going to have us run 10 40-yard dashes with 30 seconds in between, and we had to run it within four-tenths of our fastest time. So yeah, basically, that was a lot of running, and you had to be in incredible shape to run really fast every time, one after another after another. I wanted to beat the test. I wanted to actually be able to do it, run 10 40-yard dashes within 30 seconds of each other within four-tenths of my fastest time. So I started running up hills, running on the beach, running in the water, swimming, riding a bike. I did everything I could to train and prepare for this test. And come time in training camp, there were only three guys on our whole team who beat the test, and I was one of them. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I trained and I trained and I trained. Every single day you get up and you walk with God, you are going to be tested. You are in a battle. Your enemy, the devil, will never, ever let up. Every second of every day he is testing you. Remember, one of his names is accuser. He is constantly accusing you before God of being a hypocrite. He's constantly pointing out your faults to God, saying, look, they don't trust you. They don't believe you. They're not faithful. They're just playing you, God, every single day. And if you don't train and prepare yourself for the battle, you are certainly going to be a casualty and lose. I want to read something to you. Matthew 28, 19 says to make disciples. This is what Jesus said. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, commanding them and teaching them to obey everything God said. How are you going to know what God said if you don't learn it, read it, study it, memorize it, practice it? How are you going to withstand temptation unless you don't practice withstanding temptation? 
But then in 2 Timothy, I want to read something to you because it talks about soldiers in warfare. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's telling them, look, I want you to take what I taught you and I want you to teach others. You need to be in that cycle. Either you are being taught and you need to be teaching. We need to be trained in our faith because constantly every day the battle, the spiritual battle is raised. And then it says in verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You are a soldier. Whether you like it or not, I want you to get out of your head that life is like church on Sunday. Church is great. But when you leave church and even in church, there is a spiritual war raging for your soul. And then it says in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare. I want everybody to say out loud with me on three. I want you to say the word warfare. One, two, three. Warfare. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When you ask Christ to be your savior, he enlisted you into his army, whether you realize it or not. And unfortunately, whether you like it or not. You need to understand you are in the army and God is challenging you. I want you to fight. And he's given you weapons. He's given you gifts. You need to understand what they are. And you need to be, understand what God has specifically given you, what gifts he's given you to be a specialist at. You have spiritual gifts and you need to know what they are and you need to train. Because one day, another soldier is going to call upon you. God's going to call upon you to fulfill your special task. And you need to be ready. You need to be trained. There's this phrase that we have in the teams. It's called, a, it's called fair weather frogman. In other words, anybody can go out and do a, pretty much a good job doing something when it's not cold and when it's not raining horizontally and when it's not snowing and you're not having to break ice to get into the water but when it gets to be the worst of worst conditions you have to reach down into somewhere that has been touched before your boundaries have got to be expanded beyond your own comfort zone to be able to go into that environment not just go into that environment but go into that environment knowing that Ryan's life hangs on my decisions and that I can't be I can't be deterred or I can't be, um, I can't be diminished because of the environment or because of the weather, because it's cold out. My mind still has to work and I still have to make decisions and I still have to think safely and I have to think knowing that if I make a misstep or I make a wrong decision, it could strongly impact the guy to my right, the guy to my left. Because quite frankly, it boils down to this. When I fire my weapon, I'm not firing it for me. I'm firing it for him. And when he fires his weapon, he's firing his weapon so that I can come home to my family. And so you look at this, now all different branches of the military all possess that camaraderie and that, 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 that spirit of fighting for one another. Because anybody who's been in it will tell you that the reason you're there, the politics and, you know, oh, you know, we're fighting for our country. Although that is true, when you are in it, it's, it's the guys you're in it with. And that's what the fight is about. One of our favorite things to do when we were kids in the wintertime 
was to have a snowball fight. And when you have a snowball fight, you need two things that are very important. One, you need good snow. Now, the difference between good snow and bad snow, bad snow is like powder. You can't make a, a ball with it. Good snow is wet snow. And then you have to have good gloves. And if you didn't have good gloves or good snow, you would certainly lose the snowball fight. Those were your weapons. Can you imagine going into a battle, into war, without good weapons, without even having any weapons, or without knowing what your weapons are. It's the same thing. You can have weapons and not know how to use them. They're useless to you. In your spiritual war that you're in every single day, God has given you weapons. Now, a lot of times we look at the weapons as things we have to do, like pray. I got to pray. Prayer is a weapon. We're going to get to in a minute. Reading the Bible, the Word of God is a weapon. These are weapons to be used offensively in the spiritual battle you're in. So I want to read these to you because there's seven of them we're going to read. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Everybody say truth. Let's say it again on three. One, two, three, say truth. Very good. So Paul's here looking at a Roman soldier, and the Roman soldier is dressed for battle. And he's going to go through all parts of his uniform and describe them on a spiritual level. The first thing was his belt of truth. The soldier had a big cloak on and he would tie a belt around his cloak so he was free to move and this big coat wouldn't hinder him. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you have the truth, you won't doubt about what it is. You won't doubt who is God. You won't doubt about his love, his faithfulness to you because you will know the truth. The truth is a weapon against the lies of the devil. So when the devil starts telling you God doesn't love you, you fight back with the truth. It's a, it's a weapon. You need to know it. You need to use it. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, a Roman soldier had a breastplate to protect his organs from injury because this is how you die. You get hit here. You get in the leg, you may not die, but you get in the heart, the lungs, you could die. Jesus said that he has given you his righteousness. His righteousness enables you to stand up to your accusations of your character. When people are putting you down, talking about you're not this, you're not that, you could say, I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you stand by faith in Jesus Christ, you have a breastplate of righteousness. You can actually stand in the face of God and say, I, he loves me. He owns me. I don't have to be ashamed. You need to understand that is a weapon against false accusations against your character. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier would have shoes with cleats on the bottom so he can move and bob and weave just like a, a football player has cleats and so he wouldn't slip and fall. It's on the gospel that we stand, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. That is the only hope I have in my life. And that is the rock upon which you stand and you need to know it's true and that no one can prove it to be false. Then he says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you were able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. A soldier's shield was two planks of wood with tar in the middle. And they would, when everyone would shoot a fiery dart at them, the dart, the arrow would go into the wood, into the shield and the fire would go out. You are going to get darts thrown at you all the time against your character, against God's love for you, against your, his faithfulness to you, against your future. All these lies are going to come at you, and you have to have faith to say, I trust God. Because sometimes, you know, you can't see God, but you see all these people criticizing you. You see your need for money. 
You see your need for companionship and you're saying, God, where are you? By faith, you trust that the lies that are being said at you, the, the accusations that are being made against you, you trust that God loves you more than those lies. And you trust that he'll never leave you or forsake you, even though you may not feel it, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes you can't see it. Sometimes you can't feel it. But you trust what you can't see, even against what you can't see. And then it says in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Obviously, if you got hit in the head, this was the most dangerous place to be injured. And a Roman soldier would have a helmet to protect him from a mortal injury. Uh, the great thing about salvation is that it tells you in the end of the war, no matter what happens in the seen world, in the end, you win. That is one thing every believer has, is that in the end, we win. No matter how painful this life is, no matter how many victories we have in this life compared to somebody else, in the end, our salvation secures us that we have won in the end. And then it says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A Roman soldier had two, a sword with two sharp edges. It was a double-edged sword. It cut on both sides. The Bible says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts right to the heart. The word of God is a weapon. Use it against the lies of the devil. And finally, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. This is your most powerful weapon because with prayer, you can move the hand of God. Elijah prayed. It didn't rain for three years. Peter prayed and raised, raised up a cripple. Jesus prayed and did all kinds of miraculous things, raised Lazarus from the dead. You can pray. And God said, if you pray in his name, believing you can move one mountain from one place to another. You have so many powerful supernatural weapons to use in your battle. If you do not use these weapons, if you do not get skilled in these weapons, you will be defeated in your battle. You will have a very difficult time in this life. Your salvation will take you to heaven. But use these weapons every single day and deliver not only yourself from the daily struggles of, of the battle today, but also to help other people who are in bondage to set them free. We're all human just like anybody else. We have our limitations, we have our weaknesses, but the biggest thing that we have that, that helps propel us above uh, mediocrity would be that we take up each other's slack. You know, so we go through this training, we go through all this, this basically hell week and, and all these, these terrible things that we have to deal with and, and grow with each other. And that helps us create that bond and that brotherhood together. So what one person lacks, the other person will make up for. For me, one thing I never really understood is why everybody acts like we're gonna live forever. All of us are going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Everybody is going to die. That's just that's just a fact. And yet we live our lives as if, well, I can I can prolong it or I can I can somehow get out of it. And nobody nobody gets out of it. You can't get out of it. Life or death is life or death. Whether you die on the battlefield or you die at home on your chair, it's all it's all death. It's all the same. But it's how you live your life in between that makes a difference. Choose your battles. Absolutely. But the battles and the things and the issues that are inside of us are battles that you have got to face. Or there may be some things inside of you that God wants to take you somewhere, but he can't take you there with those things still attached to you. John 10.10 10 says that the thief has come to steal, 
kill and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life and life abundantly. The devil has certainly come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he is after you every day, all day. You are in a battle. Whenever you see someone addicted to drugs, he's getting the best of them in that war. Whenever you hear people gossiping, the devil's getting the best of them in that war. Whenever you see people lying, cheating, and stealing, giving up on life, you know that the devil's getting the best of them in that war and they need help. But also when you see people turn their back on helping someone else, the devil's getting the best of them in the war. When you see people refusing to go the extra mile to help somebody, refusing to read their Bible, refusing to pray and trying to be godly in their own power, the devil's getting the best of them in that war. It's very subtle. One day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring his army and his army are going to be those saints, people, Christians who fought the battle faithfully. And he's going to come back from heaven with them and he's going to fight the last battle. The question I have to ask you, are you in the war? Are you a soldier or are you just someone going to church doing religious things? If you're just going to church doing religious things, you may miss the whole battle. You may not even be one of God's kids. You may be just a religious person, someone who hasn't really given their life to Christ. The Bible says that those who have believed in him, he has given the right to become children of God. John chapter one. And then there's some of you, you pray to prayer and you say, praise the Lord. And you got God in you. But you're not fighting the battle. You're trying to just skate through so you can die and go to heaven one day. I want to challenge you to get in the battle. Because whether you get in the battle or not, consciously, you're in the battle. He is warring after your life, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. Every single person's in the battle. And you're either fighting against the devil or you're fighting with the devil. There is no in-between. So in a minute, I'm going to have a prayer. And I'm going to pray for all of you. And I'm going to challenge you to get up out of your seat and come down and join the battle. Say, Lord, I want to fight. I want to be on your army consciously. I want to know my weapons. I want to train to use my weapons. I want to help deliver people from bondage. I want to get in the battle. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be a Sunday Christian. I want to be a seven-day-a-week believer. So right now, I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to challenge you to listen very carefully, no matter where you are. You may be watching uh, on your computer or wherever you are. I want you to bow your hands and close your eyes. And I want you to think, are you ready to get in the battle? Are you ready to get in the fight? Now, you're in the fight whether you like it or not. Are you ready to be offensive, to be trained, to be prepared, to be victorious? And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It may be a prayer to, for salvation. It may be a prayer you want to get discipled. You want to get in a small group. You just want to be prepared. I want you to pray this prayer with me. In the privacy of your heart, pray, Dear God, I surrender my whole life to you. I know that Jesus loves me, that he died and rose from the dead for my sin, and I want to surrender my life to him right now. Jesus, take over my life. I surrender myself to you. I enlist into your army. Do with me what you want. Use me however you want to help whoever you want. I pray this in Jesus' name. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you pray that prayer in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And by standing up, you are making a public confession that you are actually surrendering to your new general, to your new master, and that you are going to do with him, do for him whatever he asked you. 
So right now, eyes closed, heads bowed. If you pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you right now to stand up in your seat, no matter who's around you, no matter what they're thinking, stand up in your seat and give public confession to your Lord and your Savior. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. So in a spirit of prayers, our heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you said that prayer, would you go ahead and stand your feet right now? You feel the Lord prompting you to just surrender your life to him this morning, or maybe it's that new commitment. Say, Jesus, this is it. My life belongs to you. Would you just stand your feet? God bless you. We see you standing all over. God bless you. Say standing. God bless you. So in a second, I'm going to ask those of you that stood to come forward, and we're going to encourage you as you made, uh, as you made that decision. If you're standing in the balcony, you can turn around. Our ushers will help you come down. So right now, if you're standing up, would you come forward and rock family? Would you help encourage them as we get them down here? Come on down. Thank you.